Well, I have family here today, and so I wanted to start by introducing them. My mother-in-law, Edna Vey, has come for a visit, and this is her 80th birthday, so happy birthday, Mom. 80th birthday. And then my family from here in Salt Lake came to join the festivities, daughter-in-law, Latrice, and my granddaughter, Autumn, and grandson, Gabe, and they're all here today. My son, Trent, is off at his church doing some required work where they worship, but this part of the family was able to come. And, of course, my good-looking wife, Donna. Yeah. Well, welcome to my family today. And as you might think, Edna has brought news about the family from California, where she lives. But not all of the news was good news. There was some disturbing family news. This one piece that Donna's brother Randy and his wife Karen are leaving their church. They're leaving the church where they raised their kids. The kids went through the youth group together. This is where one of their daughters was married. And in three years, that church has gone from a growing church to not only a declining church, but one where these faithful servants of God are leaving. The thing that this teaches me is that when circumstances change, we only have a short time to respond. When the church is in decline or is hurting, there has to be resolution in a relatively quick manner. This once thriving church building a brand new building, and when the building was built, their longtime pastor left and said it's time for new leadership, and the new leadership came in and it was a disaster. And now just three years later, it's a sinking ship, and even the rats are leaving the ship. Now, every person and every organization has a cycle of life. You have conception, birth, growth, and then you have decline, decay, and death. There are a hundred, the oldest person in Utah is 108. There are 142 people in Utah that are over 100 years of age. And yet all of them, though they have lived long, know that death is inevitable. And that's true for people, but not for organizations. Organizations that are healthy find that as they are going through the conception, the birth, and the growth, but before they start declining and decaying, that there's a new inspiration, a new beginning, a new movement of the Spirit, a new sense of purpose and commitment. And so instead of starting to decline and decay, they burst forth and go forward again. Death is not inevitable. But in Protestant Christianity today, it's beginning to feel that way. Acts 13 is Paul's first missionary journey where he is commissioned and he is sent out. And just like this church declined over three years, 
Paul's ministry grows over the three years of this first missionary journey, planting churches throughout the land. It was a new vision. It was a new ministry. A shift had begun. The original New Testament church, based upon the twelve apostles, and Judas Iscariot being replaced, they had twelve apostles. But now, there's a new vision of the church. The center of the missionary activity is moved from Jerusalem to Antioch. This is where Paul and Barnabas are worshiping when they are commissioned. John and Peter are now being replaced on the mission fields by Barnabas and Paul as they're being sent out. And it's a new vision. It is to the non-Gentile world. To the non, or to the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world. And so here's a new vision, new enthusiasm, and a new way to go. I want you to notice that they are commissioned by the Holy Spirit and not by human hands. This is a constant strain throughout all of the book of Acts. It is how the Holy Spirit that we read about in Acts 1, that we felt when we were having our Pentecost celebration, the new wind of the Spirit coming in. These two men are being sent forth, not just by human hands, but by God's hand through God's Spirit. And that's what every church needs to experience, is a renewing of faith through the Holy Spirit's infusion within the life of the congregation. The second thing to to think about when you think about Paul being sent out and his commissioning in this first journey is that as a second-generation Christian group, Paul and Barnabas have a better point of view. It's sort of the view from the balcony, as Robinson says in in his book that we're studying, Leadership for Vital Congregations. Because up in the balcony, and maybe this is why our youth usually sit up there, you can look down and you can see the patterns More so, uh, the patterns of relationship and how people talk to one another or don't. How people welcome others or don't. Where we sit. What the flow is. How some people enter by going up, looking at the, the key window back in the old entranceway and out of habit then come and sit. You see, that's a new perspective. A second generation Christians, Paul and Barnabas and this new group of people did not know Jesus when he was alive and walked on the earth. So there is a newness. The faith had been transferred to them and they had to own the faith themselves. It's like in the church. We have to have a generation teaching the younger generation or else the faith will not be transmitted. And the third thing to think about is that this new vision is empowering because God is behind it and the new work is being blessed because it has the Holy Spirit within it and that the nurturing that goes on is that nurture that can only come 
through the power of relationship with God, through faith in Jesus Christ, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so recognizing that Randy and Karen are leaving a congregation that they have loved and served so faithfully for so long tells us that we only have a short time in which to respond to people who are feeling disassociated or distanced from the church. That the time is short and there's an urgency that we need to take up. And that requires flexibility, intentionality, and change. Here's the old canard that's gone around and around in every denomination. How many people does it take for an American Baptist congregation to change a light bulb? You know the answer? How many? Change? 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 Nobody likes change except a baby with a dirty diaper. And you've heard me say this before. We don't like change. But to respond to changing needs for people who are hungering for the Word of God, we have to be flexible and we have to be willing to accept some change. You see, we have to change from being a dim light bulb to being a bright light bulb. Now, remember, I'm not calling you dim wits. I'm talking about a dim light bulb to a bright light bulb. We need to be uh, changing a burned out light bulb for one that works. Notice that the title of my sermon is, puts you in a positive light. You are bulb-changing Baptists. And I say that as hope and as prayer that we become bulb-changing Baptists. That we are willing to accept the call and the challenge that's placed before us. To be the people of God for the people of God and not for ourselves. You see, sometimes I think that we're focusing on the wrong people. We're focusing on ourselves instead of focusing on God and the new people that God is calling into our fellowship, our family of faith, our faith community. You see, we've lost people because we as a congregation have been sort of drifting along where we are being taken. But without discernment of God's will and without intentionality on our part. And people feel that drift. It hasn't welled up from the people within. So we need to respond in a timely manner. We need to be flexible and we need to change because Christ Jesus is coming to bring new things through us. We are the hands and the feet of the body of Christ to welcome people and to nurture them. And we need leaders who will lead the body to decide identity together that grows from the midst of the spirits working in our midst 
And we experience the power of the Holy Spirit better in the larger the group rather than individually. You heard about the fellow who came up one Sunday and said to the preacher, Well, preacher, I got a word from the Lord. And he said, I'm supposed to preach the sermon today. And the preacher said, Oh, really? If that was God speaking, don't you think God would have told me too? You see, we discern the Spirit of God as we are in larger and larger groups. Because we can individually mishear God. We need one another for correction and guidance and for discerning God's will, not by ourselves, but together. Now, I've asked you to read chapter 3 of Robinson's book, Leaders for Vital Congregation. And there are three things, well, there are the seven tools that he talks about. And I want to talk about the first three of these today because they fit with what Paul was doing on his first missionary journey. And the first one that Robinson talks about is trust. Trust that leaders and the pastor in particular, but all leaders need to be trustworthy You, as a congregation, need to trust, be able to trust the leader. In Randy and Karen's church, the the pastor knew it all. And he always had to have his way. And the result was that people could not trust him to listen or to hear what their ideas were. One day uh, he was discovered having a blanket picnic in the pastor's office with his secretary and all the doors were closed. It was an issue of trust. And Robinson is saying that in the church, in the life of the church, the first thing that leaders must do is to establish trust. That's what Paul had to do with that first generation of Christians, is it not? He had to go to Jerusalem and gain their trust that indeed God was calling him into this new kind of ministry. And it took a long time for them to trust and to understand that indeed that was true. It takes a long time to build trust and it can be gone in an instant like that by making a mistake or doing something that's inappropriate. So Robinson is saying that all leaders need to be trustworthy and you have to be able to trust them. The second thing he says is that you have to understand what is going on. What's happening in this place and among these people? <laughs> the, the balcony was one of the images that he uses. Another is, is that we're supposed to be Margaret Mead type anthropologists going to a place and looking to see what's going on and then to describe it, to be able to articulate it. That's the thing that the pastor search committee needs to be about, is to be able to say, okay, here's who we are as a congregation. We all need to come to awareness of our identity and who we are and what's going on. 
But you have to be careful because anthropologists can get into a heap of trouble because people don't like to be described truthfully. They just like to be pampered and made to feel good. Jack Weller, a pastor who went to the Appalachian Mountains for a summer internship and stayed for 23 years ministering to the mountain folk of that region of our country, wrote a book called Yesterday's People. And he described, as an anthropologist would, what was going on, very accurately portraying what the culture was like in that place. And he began to get hate mail. He had garbage burning on his front lawn, and he had rocks thrown to his windows because people don't like to be held up to a mirror and to see who they are. And yet, to understand who we are, we have to get a perspective beyond ourselves and to do the anthropological work. And that's one of our challenges. And that's Robinson's second essential thing that we need to be about. And the third one is the one that you hear me harp on or preach on all the time. And that is that we have to identify our purpose. If without a purpose, the people perish. If we don't know where we're going to go, how will we know when we get there? There, We know this. I've said it over and over. A preacher uh, was brand new into a church. I love preacher jokes. The preacher was brand new in the church. And so the first Sunday he preached this wonderful sermon and they all said, oh, great job, preacher. That was wonderful. The second week he came and he preached the same sermon. I probably told you this before, but you need to hear it again because we don't always get it the first time. So they're scratching their heads and They thought, well, he's moving into the house. He's moving into his office. He just didn't have time to write a new sermon. So he used the same one. Third week, he preached the same sermon. And by now, people are getting really anxious. What's going on here? What have we done? Have we called the wrong person? But they forgave him. He was new. They were going to give him a chance. And on the fourth week, guess what? He preached the same sermon again. And they all rose up in one at the end of the service and said, Pastor, what is going on? You have preached the same sermon four times in a row. And he says, yes, yes, I have preached the same sermon four times in a row. And I'll keep preaching it until you hear it. Until you get it. You see, the responsibility of God's word is not only the one speaking it, but it is also the responsibility of the hearer. So once again, I'm saying that the purpose is a key ingredient. If we don't have a purpose, if we don't know why we exist, then maybe we shouldn't exist. Maybe we're asking the wrong question. Somebody suggested this week, we maybe need to ask the question, do we have a real purpose to keep going, or should we just close the doors? Would anybody miss us if we close the doors besides ourselves? Would the community be any less if we were gone? What a thought. What a challenge. 
An additional thought is that we have many things that work well here, don't we? Lots of good things going on. And man, I can be the eternal naive optimist. I can take a picnic with four people and I can make it sound like the greatest thing since sliced bread because God was there and fellowship happened and they maybe took an offering too. I don't know. So we do have many good things, but sometimes we need to look at what's missing. You know, you can bake a cake... And uh, you, you can accidentally leave out an ingredient or two, you know, the leavening or the uh, an egg. And if you use enough frosting, it's still a cake, right? Yeah. But it doesn't taste like one. And so we wonder, we emphasize the good things that are going on, but maybe somewhere in the back of our mind we wonder... What are the things that we're not doing so well, that are essential, that are missing? Like, and are we just putting frosting all over everything to cover it up? You see, we have to have a purpose, and then we will know whether we have all the ingredients or not. And speaking of cooking and baking, I want to end by saying that that being bulb-changing Baptists, means that we have to be willing to cook like Ken Burnett cooks. You know, Ken Burnett doesn't always just take a recipe, but it's up here. And he adds a little of this, and he puts in some of that, then he tastes it. And he says, oh, I need a little more of oregano, and he puts that in. And it's not just following the textbook. You see, Exodus 25 said that the... Uh, The housing unit, the Ark of the Covenant, had to be four cubits by two and a half cubits by three cubits. But in the New Testament, Paul is sent out on a journey and he does not know where he is going to go and even how he will get there. And that is the call of First Baptist Church. Is not that we have a recipe for funeral potatoes, but rather that we have a product that we know will bake up really fine, but we have to keep tasting it and adding the ingredients that gets us to that place that tastes good. Because we know that God brings nourishment and God brings hope. And that in that we are nurtured and nourished and strengthened by partaking fully in the body of Christ and being renewed and challenged. And so this is the word of the Lord for us today. It is that God is doing a new thing. That in Christ Jesus we are being brought, that the world is being brought to newness through us. And what is there left to say then? Except... Thanks be to God. What is there left to say then except thanks be to God. Amen.